Welcome to The Critical Path with Mary and Jason, a podcast about business development, company culture, and loving the place you work just a little more. So this is episode 72, and we have very special guests here from BN Builders. We're super excited to share what it is that they're doing. We've been really looking forward to this one. Yep. So we have, uh, in no particular order of importance, we have Brian <laughs> Arnold, uh, Chris Everest, and Tony Castillo here to share what, what it is that they've been up to. So guys, can we just get short introductions from you about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. Following that order, uh, Brian Arnold, Innovation Executive at BNB. Uh, just had a background in architecture, realized kind of the power of BIM and 3D modeling and technology, and uh, realized uh, that it's a lot more fun sometimes, uh, sometimes to be on the construction side, be out on site and try to use that technology to our advantage. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of my my story. In a, in a there you are. Yeah, we're ready to go. Chris, what do you got? Similar to similar to Brian, also a recovering architect. I haven't <laughs> practiced architecture in about 20 years. Um, and I, I find that the envelope that I was always trying to push the, the improvement envelope, get, getting people to question, um, I didn't find a place for it in architecture. And um, I found my happy place um, joining uh, the general contracting world. I, I love that phrase, recovering, recovering architect. architect. <laughs> I, I haven't heard it in, the, in those words before, but I think that it is very spot on. And I met many of, of your kin. Uh, Tony? <laughs> Tell us about yeah, yourself. So, yeah, Tony Castillo, project executive. Um, do you, do you know leader. everybody in Seattle? What's that? Do <laughs> I? Do you? I think you're, he does. No, no. Your name I don't is everywhere. So. Your place is everywhere. I think everybody <laughs> knows Tony Castillo. So sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, maybe someday. Uh, part of our regional leadership group. So help kind of oversee our, our local office here. And I was the kid that grew up in the heart of Silicon Valley during a very special time when Apple's and Hewlett Packard's and all these really great companies were coming to life. And it really gave me the bug for technology. I'm not a recovering architect. I'm a bit of a, a closet tech geek. So I have the privilege of getting to partner with these two gentlemen and just challenging them and giving them the tools to be successful. So we have a lot of fun, to be quite honest. It's an honor to work with them. That's great. So we, we work with a number of companies that are kind of leading uh, the construction industry. And while I'm no longer in construction project management, it's exciting to get the bird's eye view and kind of the inside track of what's going on in the industry. Because I am a tech nerd, Mary is a tech nerd, uh, and, and we're always really excited to be able to see how the world's moving, even if we're not the ones specifically moving it. Uh, so in my experience, though, when we're rolling back the, the clock and we're looking at what coordination used to look like, Coordination, MEP coordination, framing coordination, all of those, those parts and pieces, it was a technical nightmare, uh, especially when everything is moving under your feet. And it was really difficult, in my experience, to get owners specifically to understand what's happening or what they're asking. It was difficult to get architects to be able to communicate to engineers in a lot of situations and ultimately getting it out to the field. So who has thoughts about kind of where we started in coordination uh, in, in terms of the nature of construction. Who is closest to running old style coordination? I, I'll get the ball Chris, rolling. Go for I, it. Yeah, sorry. I had a kid show up. Sorry. Left. Yeah, well, let's, let's go with Chris. I, I just left a, um, call it a, a light pull plan around how we're going to get started on a very tight schedule. Uh, project and the question was uh, we don't have time to do BIM coordination and I said okay 
this milestone represents when we will finish using the light table. And everyone looked at me like, <laughs> are we using a light table? Said, well, how else are we going to do it? Um, I haven't seen a light table on a project in a long time. I, I think what they mean is, um, well, what, I don't know what we would do. I don't know how we coordinate without um, them these days. And how do we? coordinate without them. Well, and I think it, you bring up an interesting point because it is a common theme in construction. We don't have time to coordinate. We don't have time mm -hmm. for modeling. We don't have time to build this ahead of time. So therefore, we have to build it in real time with real dollars, not pretend dollars, not mm. pay dollars. Uh, and, and I don't say that, that modeling doesn't cost money because it does. But I'll tell you what, mistakes in modeling cost far less to correct than mistakes 100%. in concrete. So, Tony, do you have Absolutely. thoughts on that question? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I can remember, you know, I think really what happened is we as, as contractors saw the value. We could see it early on, even as far as like 10 years ago, like, wow, we're on something really special with coordination, with 3D modeling. And I think it was really hard, and I get why, getting subcontractors up to speed, we're all in the same boat, them understanding it, understanding how to invest in it. And then you add on to that convincing clients, right? Like, we're just figuring this out and we're trying to convince them like, hey, it, we don't quite know what it costs yet, it's so new, but we think it'll add value. So I think as products improved, it got to the point where quite honestly, I think a lot of general contractors were so confident in the value that it added that we were discounting the service to prove to the clients like trust me when you get to we just want you to experience this with us and see this and i think it's really taken a lot of that software getting better and just doing it even if the client didn't want to pay for it we would just do it mm -hmm. and then seeing kind of that the proof in the pudding uh so to speak yeah and for me um coming from the design world, I came out of school just at a time when BIM for design was really taking hold, kind of the, the meat of when everybody was taking it on for the first time. And uh, I just saw this 3D workflow and all the thought that goes into the uh, kind of massing and uh, you know, kind of the, just the, the different parameters that they're, they're baking into this model, they all kind of die once they go into you know, production into a PDF set and then becomes a whole paper workflow that just mm -hmm. seemed to lose so much intelligence, just seemed to just fly out of the, uh, the realm of, of the industry once it hits that point. And I just saw that as um, kind of a missed opportunity. Mm -hmm. And to spot those contractors who were able to tap into that was really eye-opening for me. Mm -hmm. uh, just been kind of riding that wave and trying to understand what's next. Um, and by and large, it's, it's been a really, really fun way to go about a career is just to kind of stay on your, mm. your toes like that and just be able to kind of see what's next. And I, I've seen how contractors are actually benefiting just so much more than the design side sometimes. And we have a little bit more flexibility and a lot more opportunity, I think, to use it in the office, in the field, and just um, across every step of what we do. It's, it's a so there, there, my, my perception of construction as an industry is that construction tends to be conservative. It tends to be risk averse. It tends to, mm -hmm. to be cautious when adopting new technology. If you right. think about you know, the carpenter that you grew up under in your life, because everybody is related to a carpenter, right? <laughs> uh, th there's this common sentiment of, well, this is the way that I've done it for 50 years and there's no sense in doing it different. And we are, as an industry, kind of under the thumb of that, of that thought. And at this point in time, we're really starting to push the envelope forward. We're really starting to, as an industry, start to, to drive our own conversations. And it, it gets me really excited. Many owners are 
they, they can be reluctant to, to take the risk and, and try out this new technology. They don't necessarily understand the, the value proposition. So how do, you, how do you, let's say in the early days of VR, AR, how do you have those conversations where you're trying to bring clients on, even if we don't necessarily specifically know the calculable value? So Tony, you were talking a little bit about that. Uh, could you yeah. shed a little light there? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think at BM Builders, we're, we're very big on R&D, like allocating budgets for this exact thing every year. Brian, Chris, and I will establish these budgets. Hey, where are the immersive technologies we should focus on? And then we kind of dog food them. That's, I know Google uses that a lot. Just you, you test your own product. So we'll go out and test these things out ourselves in the field. Mm -hmm. And then what we like to do is get our clients out there like, hey, we'll do brown bag sessions with them to highlight some of these technologies, or we'll invite them to a job walk to really show them the value. And in this case, like you're talking about AR or VR, we're asking them, hey, just trust us, try on this headset or hold this iPad. And then we'll ask them for feedback. Mm -hmm. Or we'll say, hey, do you want us to come to your job site and maybe give us access to a model, we'll do this for you as well. Um, but I think it all starts with just a company being willing to invest. Because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you're right, I think we're it's an old school industry, it's been around for a long time, and we've done things the same way for way too long. And I think it just takes a company's commitment to being willing to kind of break that mold, I think. So I, I, I think one of the, the noteworthy details though, when you work in an industry that does tend to hang back a little bit, it means that we have a huge opportunity for growth and development, much more so than other industries do. And I think we'll, we see this rush of technology coming into this construction vacuum, and now it's difficult to parse what's what and, and what actually works. So I wanna to go to, to Chris for the next question. So Chris, what are your thoughts in terms of, of managing risk and, and taking calculated risk when it comes to adopting new technology? Sure. So I can share a story of um, having had the HTC Vive. It's a, a, a older VR headset. We, ha we had it for maybe three weeks and we had a, a job interview coming up. And I, I had one guy working with me at the time. I said, let's bring it to the interview where you're going to set up in the corner and you're going to put this on the lead scientist head. And um, what, what happened is that we stuck around a good 20, 30 minutes after the interview was over. Everyone was talking and the lead scientist looked at his, his colleague and said, we have to have this. And um, I, I lead my now grown group more than just one support with the motto of do it and show them. Don't talk around trying to convince it, just do it and show them. Yeah. And that, that's the, the calculated risk. Got it. Brian, do you have any thoughts to add to that? No, just that uh, you're right and that it is uh, sometimes hard to kind of parse through all the different terminology, all the different technology. Um, there's a lot to have to grapple with if you don't speak the language of it, which is why we've seen these departments uh, build and grow, right? People who speak the language can operate inside that, that universe. But I think we're reaching kind of a groundswell now where people like Tony uh, people like our senior leadership, which I came to this company to be, be with because I feel like they spoke the language, they're starting to understand it more. They're starting to know what to want. Um, that includes owners. I, I see owners more and more actually crafting their own execution plans for BIM, um, mm -hmm. kind of technology they want to have on their sites because they've seen it work in the past and save them money, save them time, or just have a higher quality product in the end. And so they're actually now pulling us um, where I felt like for the first 
oh gosh, 15 years of my career, it's been a lot of push uh, trying to show them this cool thing we can do. Now it's more about this cool thing we do every single job because it makes for a better product for them. And so that, seeing that happen has been kind of the dream for a long time for me uh, to not have to sell it. Cause I'd never really considered myself a salesman. Um, I'm more of a doer and I like seeing that work being done, being valued and asked for down the road. So that's been powerful. Well, I, so I want to ask Tony a question. Yeah. I would argue that everything that we do is in some sort of sales capacity. Like we're, we're all trying to convince somebody of something to at least, you know, even if it's just to hear what it is I have to say, we're all in, in that practice. Um, so Tony, what are your thoughts in terms of how VR AR has moved this, this kind of leveled up technology has moved from just the sales marketing side to the, the project delivery side? Yeah, it's a good question. I always use the term. Sometimes it's a challenge. It, we, I call it like the Willy Wonka BIM services where the client's like, what is this pie in the sky service you're trying to sell me? Like, um, we have fast forwarded to a point now where like, like the last five years, there's been this explosion of catch up for like a hundred years of doing things the same way. Um, you know, and myself as kind of a seller doer and, and a part of the leadership team is really, like I said, showing these clients, these, these services firsthand is a really big deal uh, in terms of implementing these, like, and we'll get into it more. I think we're really bullish on AR. Um, we're seeing this transform anything from quality control, safety, um, coordination, uh, speeding up the process for mock-ups. I mean, we could touch on any one of those and have a podcast on them. Um, but we want to insert those in all of what I just outlined, starting with safety, uh, walking the job with your foreman and looking at coordination, looking at post-tension below your slab, um, and then QCing a product once it's installed, coming in with your headset or your iPad. And an engineer could quickly be like, oh my gosh, it's so obvious. There's something missing on in this wall right here. Mm -hmm. Well, we can literally do that now. Yeah. Very with great ease of use, thanks to companies like Visual Live and others that are bringing these great products to market. So I, I want to to have just a, a nerd break for just a <laughs> second. We want to do some hyper-focused uh, nerd oversharing here. So uh, Brian, are you the, the nerd oversharer or is Chris? I had uh, it sounds like it, yeah. Okay, so what we want here is just a short, uh, short share of the actual tech that you're using in a, in a verbal description. In a verbal description. Yeah. Uh, I want to hear apps. I want to hear uh, how these things connect and talk. Just oh, very sure. short and what to the, the point. Is. Yeah. Yeah. We're still definitely using a lot of tablet-based AR. Mm -hmm. um, something that's just, it's it's been around for, you know, five years or so. And people have gotten used to it. Everybody's yeah, got, got 20 seconds left. <laughs> All right. We've moved now into uh, more of that uh, advanced AR using HoloLens, right? Using uh, Trimble Connect and HoloLive, Visual Live's HoloLens component. Yeah. Uh, using those tools, which are now uh, asking, making us ask ourselves, what else can we do with this tool that exists, which is usually not the problem. So. That's great. That's great. So, uh, Brian, do you want to queue up a, a short video for us so oh, yeah, all sure. of the people waiting with bated breath yeah, can see a little bit about what you're doing? Let's start seeing some actual Absolutely. AR stuff. And you did great under pressure, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. So I'm going to share screen and pull up a video here. All right. This is not playing, let me know for sure. Yeah. So this is cool. So we can see the QR code you use to kind of place the model in the space. And we saw the little red, green, and blue axis that shows us what we're looking at. 
Yep. Yeah. So this is uh, us just kind of getting everything aligned and located. Now, this is kind of the current way or even I would say the past way of doing it, which is having a marker in the field, kind of a monument you're aligning to. So you then that QR code that has to be physically in the space. Exactly. Yeah. And you want to measure that and make sure it's in the right spot aligned to where you've actually put a virtual version in the model. Okay. Um, once you have that, you're pretty much aligned with the old technology, the tablets and um, uh, kind of their limitations. They have one camera and that's basically like walking around with one eyeball open. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not as, uh, I guess, conducive to like depth perception. It, it doesn't allow you to feel good about the location of the model within the space. And so this, uh, this is the captured video actually inside of the HoloLens. Right. Yeah. So you're actually looking at a, a, exactly a capture of what they were seeing through the goggles themselves. Mm -hmm. They're able to do that pretty easily. Um, in fact, there's ways now that we can actually host meetings through the goggles. Somebody can be out on site and actually sharing via Teams, uh, for and since it is a Microsoft product. Um, it's actually a great way to do things like uh, a virtual box walk. Maybe you can walk around um, a space that's got stud framing up, but we haven't run the electrical yet. We haven't done the boxes. We can see where the boxes are going to be. Um, or you can just kind of walk around a space that hasn't even been designed yet. You can show the shell. And people can kind of see um, the possibilities for a space before architects even put pencil to paper. Mm -hmm. um, but these new devices, the HoloLens especially has uh, two infrared sensors. It's got a depth of field sensor. It's got its camera. It's got a whole variety of things. It's like a spider vision. You know, it can actually kind of tell where it is a little more. And so what you're seeing is people like uh, uh, Visual Live and, and, and others, Trimble Connect both, they're moving more towards reality capture version of that location. So it'll actually kind of scan the space. It's not a laser scan, but it is pretty close. It'll look for perpendicular surfaces. It'll look for certain elements that are common between the physical space you're in and the model version that you have in your system. And so it'll align those for you. Um, so that's that's a game changer because mm -hmm. you can imagine trying to go around and post these QR codes up everywhere. The old technology, you'll have things like model drift, where if you walk away from that QR code, um, the model will start to separate from the reality just a little bit. With every step, it's a, just a percentage, right? You know, maybe it's one percent, five percent of the distance, but. Uh, it gives you a little bit of insecurity over what you're seeing and is that in the right space? And so things like laying out an embed or a sleeve or something like that weren't even possibilities before. We're starting to want to experiment a little more and actually get out there in the field and try doing the actually day, daily activities that we would normally do, um, but with the, the AR system, instead of trying to go through shop drawings, um, out in the rain or, or other drawings, um, even on an iPad, trying to flip through the different files you can actually just walk around with your embed model, um, with your actual embeds in hand, place them and uh, secure them for somebody to come through later and pour the concrete around. So that's something we want to see happen more. Um, it's definitely taking a lot to get people comfortable, but so far so good. We're seeing some pretty uh, precise alignments out there in the field. So I, I can definitely see a situation where architects, interior designers, owners would, would just be over the moon in having this technology available for visualizing things like even furniture layout, but box walk coordination, uh, device coordination. And, and I would love to hear your thoughts, Tony, on, on what this would do to change management. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, gosh, you nailed it. So I'm thinking of recently, we've done this with some of our clients. We'll, 
way ahead. We're in like an SD level or early DD stage and we're wanting to spatially feel a prototype for a kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, like you just said, I mean, we're change management. So we can immerse them with this technology. They can feel like they're physically walking in that kitchen and they can actually be like, oh my gosh, like the clearance here is not what our chef wants. Like, I'm so glad we did this. This would have been a change. Or I really wish we'd have our pizza oven over here. This actually didn't make sense the way we drew it or conceptualized it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you nailed it, Jason. That in itself right there would have been a change. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're given the clients the ability early in the design change to experience the space before we finalized our design, which we couldn't do before, really. I mean, this, this like Brian said, has so many opportunities. Well, and it, it I um, think, helps helps the customer understand the ramifications of what they're asking for. Yeah. It helps to to prevent unnecessary changes and right. and helps mm-hmm. to communicate the gravity of the changes that they're asking for. So Chris, mm-hmm. I, I want to hear from you your thoughts on what future building engineers would think about having this kind of visibility of what kind of building they're going to inherit. Sure, I can share an example of a a clean room uh, that I recently finished uh, coordinating uh, with um, my trade contractors. Uh, We took a clean room ceiling and we lowered it to the finished floor um, elevation to allow um, uh, the facility um, folks who are going to maintain um, instruments uh, up in this really um, compressed space and allow them to, to walk through um, among uh, the ducts and um, pipe racks and um, uh, electrical um, bus ducts and uh, be able to uh, confirm that they're able to, to reach valves, to, to access the VAVs. Um, and they, they're um, spotting um, content um, because it's just modeled um, that they weren't able to see just fine through a Navisworks model. And it, it gives them a lot of, a lot more confidence, um, reduces their anxiety around, um, that allows them to confirm that what they're going to get at the end of the day um, is not going to be a surprise. They've had a chance to walk through it. They've had a chance to make changes. Gives confidence to our project engineers in the job, knowing that um, we've given the client a, an immersive experience and um, to be able to point back to that and say, hey, you, we, we already walked through this. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, it gives the whole team a lot more confidence. They're, they're, the, the element of surprise is, um, is lessened. Got it. So uh, we, I think we can cut the video, Brian. Um, so I, I want to ask another question, though, that it has to do with uh, buy-in. We, we talked a little bit about getting client buy-in, and I think in the early stages of the technology, it was difficult to do because we didn't necessarily have the data for it. But from what I'm seeing and what I'm aware of, it sounds like more and more we are getting access to the data. We do have case studies. We do have situations where we can say, mm-hmm. this is what we're doing on this project. Is this a service that you would like to explore for your upcoming project? Uh, so, Brian, do you have any sense of, of how that can help get clients and get, get architects more comfortable with the technology? Sure. I think um, to some degree you want to draw them in with the fun, right? You want to start there and, like, let them just enjoy the design process, right? I, nobody wants to go into, you know, having someone design a space for them feel like it's a chore. Mm-hmm. 
So if we can step in or an architect has this technology can step in and provide that kind of immersive experience that Chris was talking about, I think that's a huge step. And that enables us to kind of uh, be sneaky about getting them comfortable using the technology. Yeah. Um, once that is there, they start to want to lean on it. They want to have their own device. They want to be able to go out on their own time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that enables them to then step into any process using that interface. And that's what we want. Uh, we want them to be able to tackle any challenge uh, that they come across or that we come across as a team using a platform that speaks their language. And that is never going to be, in my mind, a, a 2D set of documents. So you had had said something along the lines of to, to pull them in, to make it interesting, to make it entertaining. One of our yeah. mantras at Arcade is we don't grow up, we just get bigger. And mm-hmm. the idea behind that is that Anything that can be fun should be fun. Anything that can mm-hmm. engage our brain should engage our brain. It should, right. it should be a, a delightful experience. It should be energizing and exciting. Uh, I realize that not all things can be that way all the time, but most certainly when we're talking about customer service and pulling people in, that is very much our job, to pull those people in. Uh, and, and we were talking before we started the live stream with Tony and you brought up something that is critical and key to, to where we're headed with regard to technology. So talk to me about the importance of, of the newest generations coming out of school as it relates to the tech. Because when you see all of these well-coordinated drawings and this walkthrough experience, it looks very, let's say, construction Willy Wonka. And, yeah. and it's very easy and, and it feels effortless to kind of walk through and explore this space. But it actually requires a whole heck of a lot of engineering in the background to make sure that everything is mm-hmm. properly coordinated and running smooth. So, Tony, what, what's your perspective on, on the tech and the level of talent that we need or the type of talent that we need in order to keep that fired up? Yeah, really good questions, Jason. Um, my perspective on the tech, I think, as we've kind of been saying, is it's here. Um, and there are more options coming to market. Um, like like Brian alluded to, it, it's here in the sense that it, it used to kind of be here, but it just didn't quite work. We talked about that lag. You'd walk a space, and this is what would turn a client off. They'd try to experience this a couple of years prior, and the model would not be in the right alignment. And, and once that happens, you've lost them. Mm-hmm. So now we're in the position where that's not happening. Mm-hmm. And, it, and to see the expression, like Chris was saying, when his client put on that, that, that headset and took 20, 30 minutes experiencing that, I mean, that tells you the products are here mm-hmm. um, and, they're, and they're only getting even better. Um, in terms of like the generation, the skill sets, that's already happening as well. We, we have folks from UW, one of, our, one of the, the folks that's on our staff in innovation was an adjunct professor at Cal Poly in California as a as an architectural engineering background major and he's already teaching these classes like so i guess where i'm going is there's a lot of students already coming out of school with this this experience and ability whereas the three of us here on, on at bnb we had to learn this postgraduate right mm-hmm. <laughs> on the fly trying out products and find and going through the failures and the and the headaches um but fortunately this next generation they're they're coming out equipped mm-hmm. Um, which is pretty exciting. I think it's just going to continue to fast forward our progress. And, and this is a topic that we talk about, we spend a lot of time with. We have our, our form and basic training program and the idea is that we're trying to get people ready to 
jump into a leadership position today, but also prepare them and show them things about what to expect tomorrow and what types of tech uh, they need to be ready for. And I think that more and more, when we think about what the foreman of the future is going to look like, what that field leader, what that skill set needs to look like for that field leader to be successful, I think that it is night and day different from what it looked like for our parents. So Chris, do you have any thoughts about important things that field leaders for for today and for tomorrow need to be focusing on that were different than than what came before? I think I um, put a, a, a high value on knowing what right questions to ask um, instead of um, pushing, um, pulling. Well, really mining for problems. Mm -hmm. I always tell my, my team or ask my team rather to um, that look for the problems because that's where the solutions are going to fall into. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't sniff for a, a solution. Don't sniff for the tech, but really look for the problem that the tech is going to solve and that the tech will present itself. Um, I, I think that did that answer your question? Yeah, Maybe. yeah. I think that's I mean, fine. And I, okay. I think that the focal point is just making sure that that what a foreman looks like moving forward, stepping forward into the future, is that those field gotcha. leaders do need to have tech as a core concentration. Well, I think another interesting right. part of this whole conversation with the AR and the VR and the way that we're using all these tools is that I think for a while there was a perception that it was hard to get young people to come into construction. Mm -hmm. And I think there was some part of that that was that young people in technology, like technology is such an integral part of their lives mm -hmm. that when they'd step into the construction industry and look around and see no technology, they'd and it, say, well, it looks like the Flintstones right. yeah, this in construction. <laughs> and so as, as the technology is mm -hmm. catching up and let's say the importance that we place on technology gets higher and higher, I think that it's all the more important that we start that conversation. And Brian, before we started, you'd shared something along the lines of, your angle is to get your team comfortable with being uncomfortable and trying to break the tech. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I, I wanna see the thing fail uh, as many ways as we can make it fail or we're not gonna feel comfortable with it, right? Uh, if we make it fail, we go back, see how it fails, see if we can correct. And if it's technology that's holding us back, we need a new piece of technology. But if there's something we can do with our process that uh, could change to make it better, more training, or just more time or uh, examples to work with, we'll do that. Um, I just, I, yeah, I, I want to, I want to keep stretching our abilities, pushing the developers, and uh, getting our clients, you know, involved in that process and seeing where the limits lie. So there was one of our favorite. I think it's my single favorite piece of feedback from our training is when someone said, "I love the feeling of failing in a controlled environment." Right. Right. Yeah, this is right. like this is like falling from from a, a tightrope into a net and it's sure. OK to fail. And I think the sentiment that you're getting at, Brian, is mm -hmm. when we're adopting new tech, when we're exploring new tech, when we're in a controlled environment, we want to do whatever we can to see how it breaks so that we can understand it and we can protect against it going forward. And I think that's just a, a really smart approach, because being wrong and making mistakes that is the essential part of learning that we all need to be doing in the industry. So Tony, what's that, Brian? Throughout our lives, absolutely. That's that's what keeps us on our toes and keeps us uh, feeling alive. I think most uh, most people who are uh, creative or just wanna be 
productive. That's what they need. Mm-hmm. Tony, what are your uh, thoughts on, the, on that topic? Yeah. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think if if you're afraid of making a mistake, you'll never move forward. Um, you won't be in a position where you get to try out these products and you can actually get buy-in from your field. I mean, that's a huge part of it, right? It's it's not just your client. You've got to get your people to want to adopt that product and to see it firsthand. Um, but yeah, if you're scared at what it could do or how it might fail, you'll never get there. So I'm grateful that like I said, as a company, we, we, we've committed to, to every year we create an R&D budget and we're purposely challenging ourselves and our people to, to embrace these technologies and to learn with us. Mm-hmm. And then it's when you see, I think the best proof of your, your success as an innovation department is then when your superintendents and your foreman are like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we just won this job. I want Chris, I want Brian, I, wanted, I want him to show what we did on our last job. When you get that kind of accolade, like, that just makes your your year mm-hmm. and it just proves that um yeah the mistakes you made in the past all that r d was worth it mm-hmm. well that's people that's, finally seeing the value when we're talking about trying to move the needle of change and technology and construction we are talking about the foreman and we are talking about the superintendents uh, they are oftentimes some of the last bastions of, of doing it the way that, that our parents did. And when right. you can get the buy-in and you have them hook, line, and sinker that they're, they're participating in this technology and they're pushing it forward, I mean, that is a win. That is a win. Chris, uh, do you have any thoughts on how to, to win that buy-in, how to get that buy-in from uh, whether we're talking about field foremen, field superintendents, or, or even clients or subcontractors? And just to dovetail on the, the previous discussion is how might we craft that safety net? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, is it part of culture? And I, I think that, that that is crafting that safety net is um, pivotal in um, getting the, the buy-in, um, uh, getting everyone to feel safe w- with failing, um, setting some you know short achievable milestones to win quickly. Um, fail quickly so we can iterate faster mm-hmm. and um, ultimately getting everyone to feel like it's their idea. <laughs> exactly. and it, yeah. I don't want to give away all our secret sauce, <laughs> but, um, but that's, um, that, that's huge. Well, and, yeah. and you say give away our secrets, but I think the important part there is that I, I see construction and I see the industry as, as a big family. And we can only, we're only going to be as strong as our ability to play. Uh, how, we, how we convince our teams and bring them on board kind of tactically. I would share everything. And at the end of the day, let's play a good, clean game and, and let's see how it goes. Yeah. Because it's going to come down to our preparation. It's going to come down to our synergy yeah. and how we work together. Uh, because there will right. always be new challenges thrown our way. Brian? I love that. Oh, no, it's just... Uh, pile on to Chris's comment. Just, uh, I like showing the technology, showing what it can do, giving them faith in the accuracy, things like that, and letting the field see that and come to their own conclusions and be excited to, about the possibilities. And that's where mm-hmm. Chris bringing up the idea of making it think like it's their idea. Um, you know, we, we may have an inkling of what we think they can do, but they've got to come to the table. We can't push them to the table. Um, and so anything you're trying to push out to the field sometimes um, is maybe 
uh, a misguided uh, way of going about it. It's it's about pulling people in by showing the possibilities. So Brian, if you could go ahead and queue up another video, I want to, to walk through something. Go Before ahead. we go to the video though, Brian, I know you also mm -hmm. have the, the hard hat with yeah. the headset. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. So this is our latest uh, model that we've been using out in the field. Let's see if I can show this. This is the HoloLens um, with a Trimble XR10 attachment. And so the reason we've been using this device in particular right now, um, and we see it evolving in the future, is that the, the HoloLens as a standalone device isn't really crafted for the industry. It's crafted for gaming. It's crafted for all sorts of stuff that might not have anything to do with us. And so um, it doesn't have um, a hard hat, for instance. That's the obvious one. So this has kind of an integrated hard hat. They've actually taken apart the HoloLens 2 and attached it um, kind of in a, a more secure fashion um, um, to the to the hard hat. So that's step one. I think the other thing is um, sound out on a job site. It's a very important safety aspect to be able to hear your surroundings, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're in a uh, on a job site, there's a lot of loud noise. You have ear protection, and you're obviously not going to hear mm -hmm. the device is trying to tell you if you're having a video conference or something like that. Um, but what they've done is they've taken the speakers off the HoloLens 2 and replaced it with a bone conductive sound system. I'm not sure if we can get that kind of close. That little square right there actually contacts with the back of your skull. So you can actually hear through your bone, which is kind of cool. I've seen that technology around, but I've never really felt like buying a pair, but this is uh, the, my first experience with it. And it's new. Uh, it's not something that I think a lot of people are comfortable with. It's a weird sound quality. Um, but it's it's a thought level that we're really excited about that the device makers are putting into the equipment. Um, in addition, it flips up, um, so that's really handy. You know, the HoloLens 2 itself does as well, but if you have the attachment uh, for the hard hat, it's not exactly uh, fluid, so this makes it pretty easy to just rely on your safety glasses mm -hmm. and just be another guy on site with a hard hat, uh, just the wacky-looking hard hat. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just the devices are coming along, the, the software is coming along, and this is, this is definitely the latest iteration that we're comfortable with on site. That's great. So do you, do you have to wear safety glasses? So those are, that lens is not down. safety rated, I'm assuming. I think these are actually safety rated. I think they're, uh, uh, I think it's ANSI certified, mm -hmm. but I, I want to double check on that and certainly mm -hmm. not on that, but I, you know, you're going to be flipping it up enough to just get the, the, the screen part out of your field of vision that you were gonna to wanna to have safety glasses as well. So we require that as well. We also require somebody to be with you because you're obviously focusing on something that's right in front of your face as opposed to you know, the five and 10 feet beyond you. You wanna be able to be aware because it is an immersive system, it's transparent, but you gotta have some help there just to make sure you're safe. And so, so go, ahead, go ahead and queue up that video so yeah, sure. Mary, Mary kind of led us down the road and took away my thunder. Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to see it. <laughs> so go ahead and queue up that video. Uh, but yes, the next question that I had had to do with safety because we're always putting safety first. We're always very conscious of, of the safety components and, and the risks that, that come into play uh, with walking on an active job site. I think that that there are there can be holes in the floor that you won't necessarily see that could be mm -hmm. obstructed. There could be walls right. that aren't there or or things that are there. Well, and even something that can be a risk, and I know we do a lot with VR. We mm -hmm. haven't played with AR very much, but uh, a thing can happen where if there's a table in front of you in VR, if you kind of trip, like if mm. you skip the part of your brain that's conscious, you'll try to catch yourself on the table that's there in VR, which mm -hmm. obviously is real. Yeah. So you would try to catch yourself on one of these cabinets 
And, and of course, that creates its own kind of hazard. But I think that there would be risks and hazards and safety risks with this technology that are new, that we've never yeah. seen before. So you had shared the bit, Brian, about the handler that you have you have a person who accompanies you when you're when you're moving anywhere right. but what other thoughts or considerations would come into play we're not we're not making safety proclamations here but let's say just sure. some general best practices of what we yeah. should be thinking about when we're using the technology on site well for right now covid is a big one so having to clean these things after every mm. is a big deal we've had to come up with our own protocol of um of cleaning them, you can't actually use uh, certain wipes on this on the actual goggles. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to be careful about what products you're using, what you're spraying, things like that. But that's one aspect. I think another aspect that people don't think about a lot is just um, not everybody's comfortable. Maybe not, they're not gamers, uh, grown up gamers um, from childhood. They're not comfortable with the motion part of it. Um, but we've actually talked to, I've talked to personally some Oculus engineers who have explained to me the phenomenon that actually goes on in your brain that makes you sick sometimes when using these technologies, especially VR, since it's hundred percent immersive, but what's actually happening is that, you know, your brain understands changes in elevation through your ears. And so it uses the changes in pressure along with some other cues to, to tell itself that it's moving up and down. But if the system is telling you, um, that you're moving up and down, but your ears are not. Um, so you're, you're maybe going up and down through a floor in the model, but you're standing on an actual floor not moving. Your brain doesn't know how to make the two uh, agree. It doesn't know how to compute, right? And so it actually thinks it's been poisoned. It thinks it's, that it's got something in its system that's making mm. it hallucinate. So it wants to get rid of that, hence the... Mm-hmm. The nausea, so, yeah. Yeah, that's one aspect, you know. Um, but we're also trying to just see what how these activities go in the field if you're going to be installing embeds or laying track while using these what what kind of uh, uh hazards are going to come up we try to be creative about finding those hazards before they happen but being realistic a lot of them may have to just um, become apparent um, hopefully not through injury or anything like that but just somebody becoming aware that, of a possibility uh, of an injury using these systems so that's that's honestly one big part of it for sure got it so i have another question about what what it can do now, I know some of it is still kind of developing. So we were talking about the fact that the models that, that we're looking at here, these come from Navisworks. So compared to what you can do in, say, just Navisworks Freedom, what can you do with this? Is it right now, can you just move around the environment and view? Or can you do things like pull dimensions or select things or turn off certain models? What can you do with it right, right now? Uh, you can do quite a bit. I'm pausing the video because I'm trying yeah, to find yeah. <laughs> it more. Um, but uh, you can see there we go. Okay. So yeah, you can see some of the standard toolkit within the Hololive system. You have the measure function right here. I'm not sure if you can see the mouse circling that, but um, you can measure, you can turn layers on and off. Um, trying to think of things that you can do in freedom. Um, you can certainly uh, start to identify issues, take snapshots, uh, communicate using the platform. Uh, having Navisworks Freedom out in the field is right now challenging. A lot mm-hmm. of times you see people put a kind of a, uh, a little Joe box out there that has a, a big screen and a, a desktop, or maybe you have a laptop. It's not really conducive to uh, you know, field conditions. You can get onto a model and navigate it, maybe on BIM 360 on a tablet. But again, that's it's just not uh, really friendly to somebody who's not a, a habitual tablet user, yeah. this just feels more natural to someone to navigate. So that's a big aspect of it. Um, 
But what you can certainly do is um, the X-ray vision part is really powerful because you can see the space and just layer in as fake as you want the geometry that's in the model. Um, I, I think I mentioned the identifying issues. See that becoming a bigger part of what happened by using AR, uh, where if we have uh, an RFI meeting happening, we actually go out to field, we host the meeting, uh, we're dragging dimensions, we're marking things up, a possibility for a relocation of a pipe, we can actually draw that pipe in and maybe a future where we can live model that pipe in or slide that model component over to show where it could be. Um, I think that's not far off. In fact, I'm sure that there's somebody who's working on that right now to be able to do that a lot. Cut your video, Brian. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. So Tony, hey, did, Tony or Chris? Jason, mind if I, mind if I pipe in? Sure. I mean, uh, well, let's think about what happens after construction. Owners that um, have the, the model for their facilities management, we can, query assets, as they're called, once they're built, um, query the data of that asset. So maybe we can uh, look above the ceiling without a ladder at a VAV and uh, understand it, um, how it's functioning, look up at um, you know, the owner, uh, the, the documentation, um, the history of prior maintenance. Um, so let's uh, think about those owners that, that do have models at the end. Um, uh, of the construction. Well, and Tony, you that had, data is still available. Tony, I think you brought this up in in a previous conversation in terms of uh, the owners of the model and and how important it is that if the owners want the model, it's important that there's some sort of steward appointed to to uh, champion mm -hmm. that and and carry that out. Do you have do you have thoughts or anything you want to share about that topic? Yeah, that's that's huge. Um, because we do, we call it BIM, like BIM to FM, to facilities management, being able to give a product to the client at the end. I think for that to work, you have to be truly aligned at the very beginning. Like you just hit it. Um, so whether it's, it's, it's the design partner, I think what we can do as a GC is really help that client understand, well, what are your goals? Like, what do you want out of this? And then we need to make sure that the design mm -hmm. team understands that. Because um, they're going to be best suited, I think, to really carry the model forward, I think. And we use it for reference. Um, but I think it's really important that our clients are able to share that with us very, very early. And I, I think that the point that you had brought up had to do with the amount of time that the general contractor spends with that model mm -hmm. relative mm -hmm. to the life of the building yes. is, a, is a really small percentage. And, and it's just sort of like a, a trade hazard or something that you happen to be the, the entity that's closest to the generation of that. Uh, and you happen to be suited to be able to to work with that technology. It is important that that if the owner wants to get the maximum benefit out of that technology, that they have someone who really can embrace that whole thing and own it and run with it. And the contractor is really just interfacing with that model as opposed to being the owner of it. You nailed it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So getting yeah the facilities manager in on that discussion too. The owner bringing the right parties to the table on his or her side mm -hmm. that help us establish those goals is critical. Right. Well, I really appreciate you guys being here, and I want to just bounce a, a closing question to everybody. Uh, so as we're kind of getting out of here, uh, Chris, what do you think will come next for for the future of AR? What do you think? Brian's already had the preview of this. <laughs> so what's coming next? What? 
coming next with the, the future of AR, I, I would say that it's related to my previous comment, just uh, owners. Um, I, I think the next big wave is um, owners recognizing what you just spoke with Tony about, um, that um, they're making the investment and um, having their design team um, produce in, in 3D and their contractors coordinate in 3D and they make sense for them to continue that investment. And especially if they're what we might call serial builders, people who uh, are building a, a campus, they, they have a lot more to, to gain if they continue developing that, that 3D content. So I, I think uh, equipping our, uh, you know, overall wearing tool belt, um, you know, nice, along with that nice uh, keychain on, on their belt buckle, maybe a, a hard hat with some, uh, you know, a, a visor mm -hmm. that is going to shoot some Fruit Loops in their glasses, right? Um, show, show them, you know, what's going on above the ceiling so they don't need a ladder, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I think one of the big differences of construction of the future will be based on how smart the building is, based on how smart the model is, how maintainable, how accessible, how much, how easy is it to get mm -hmm. the information that we need to be able to do a good job of managing this building. So Brian, where do you see AR? Where do you see technology going forward? Well, I, I'm really interested in two tracks right now. One is uh, the model becoming uh, accessible to the field through AR. Uh, the other is laser scanning, and I know that you guys have talked about this quite a bit. Um, we talk about it all the time. Um, that technology is getting cheaper, more accurate, more accessible. We have, I don't even know how many devices we have now from you know, Leica or uh, you know, Trimble or, who, or Faro or whoever, but becoming yeah. a, a use on every single project. There is a use for laser scanning. And so what I'm seeing happening is two technologies are going to meet at some point, and I think we're really close. Uh, I think some people are messing with it right now. I mean, some of the stuff Leica is doing with the, the BLK and then the RTC, and they, they've now got this handheld scanner mm -hmm. that I'm curious about. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's becoming really, really uh, conducive to just a more casual interface with the technology to have people out there just doing it, not because it's an investment they budgeted and paid for and scheduled, but it, because they need it that day. Mm -hmm. And so they can actually start to use it every day in their workflow um, kind of on uh, on demand. And so uh, model and laser scan joining at some point in the next two to three years, mm -hmm. uh, I'm interested to see the possibilities of that, that combination. So before we throw the last question to Tony, uh, this is for everybody listening to the live stream. In the case that you have any last minute questions that you want to get in, go ahead and punch those in and we'll, we'll throw some uh, uh, curveballs to these guys. Yep. Uh, so Tony, <laughs> Yeah. In, in your position with your, your vantage point, what do you see being the most important change in technology going forward? What is the, the thing that, let's say, if I'm going into construction, if I, I want to join the industry, what should I be thinking about with regards to technology that maybe would be different from my parents? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I think we've been talking a lot about it. I think it's what Brian just talked about, and Chris, I think laser scanning just being prepared to embrace that because it's an incredible tool and it's so simple to use. Obviously you want to have the right people. We have in-house surveyors that really help us lead the charge. Mm -hmm. um, but then obviously AR, which we've been talking about. Um, as people are coming on now for the next three to four to five years, I think it's going to become common practice in progressive markets, you know, like the West Coast, like seeing these tools out in the field, seeing clients or the clients consultants out in the field with their own devices 
fact checking us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would encourage those groups coming in to be to be open to that and then just expect it. Um, you know, and I'd leave you with, I think for any any GC out there that um, is looking to make this successful, it, it's really having people like Brian and Chris mm-hmm. and having buy-in from leadership and operations. So I, I feel honored that I get to partner with these guys and kind of evangelize the service internally. I think if you can get those, um, you can be successful with these tools. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the, the big takeaway that, that we push out to our students and our classes and, and folks kind of coming into the industry is the, the art of learning how to learn, the importance of learning how to learn. This is metacognition, right? So because technology is moving so fast, because there's so much information, focusing on learning how to learn as its right. own discipline is something that's critically important for everybody who's coming into the industry. If you want to be successful, guess what? Learning how to learn is more valuable than learning BIM 360. Learning how to learn is more valuable than learning any single piece of software because yeah. it's we're never ending and it's just going to be something gonna be else. Another piece of software, another mm-hmm. tool, another right. cool thing. Right. Just a tool. That's right. Yeah. That's right. All right. Well, we really appreciate having you guys along and and sharing this cool tech with us. Uh, We'll be in touch here shortly to talk more uh, in the future. And in the case that anybody has any questions for these guys, let me know and I will get it to them and get it back out. Yeah, we've had a quiet group during the stream. I think they were all just like hypnotized by the AR. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe it was Chris's mustache. It is hypnotizing. (laughs) Epic. No, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, thanks so much for for being with us, and we will see you next time. So you can find us at www.arcadewayfinding.com. Where can can folks find you at, Tony? Yeah, beingbuilders.com. All our office locations are on there and our services. And yeah, we'd love to chat with anyone who's interested to discuss further with us. Please reach out. I think all of these guys are on LinkedIn, yes? Yep, LinkedIn, absolutely. You can find us at www.thecriticalpathpodcast.com. And you can like and subscribe and all that good stuff on whatever app you watch a podcast. And if you're listening to us and not watching the live stream or watching the YouTube video, then we did watch a lot of really cool video of the AR. So you can go check that out on our YouTube, which is at arcadewayfinding.com forward slash YouTube. And you can see the video version too. And Chris's mustache. Yeah. And check it out. It is serious. It's good stuff. Love it. All right. We'll see you later. Yeah. Watch for it. Watch for it. All right. See ya. I dropped the audio in like our first two or three live streams. So I always check from you guys when we first get going. So go ahead and talk amongst yourselves about very important things. <laughs> yeah, the weather. Oh my gosh. It's so windy. Yeah, yeah we got hailed on. Did you guys get hailed, Tony? I was, where was it? My kids asked me, it was hailing, I guess. I was in Snoqualmie, and when I got back, they asked me if I saw the hail, and I didn't. I guess oh. it was pounding. It was, yeah. We had a big tree fall, actually, today, just from the wind. So, At your house, your property? Yeah, yeah, it's neighbor's tree, but uh, landed in our yard, so we gotta go deal with that right after this.
Are you gonna get a chainsaw? And- well, I, I luckily my wife gave me a chainsaw for Christmas. And, uh, it's like cool. the tiniest chainsaw you can buy. It's like 12 inches long, battery powered. <laughs> Little um, tiny. It can cut like a small, like three inch Christmas tree. Oh, like a birthday yeah. cake, maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is like my my grandma, Jason. Me, Jason was in construction, and she'd always give him these little tiny tool sets. With like oh yeah, yeah. Tiny screwdrivers and you know what power. though. You will use those more often than your big set of screwdrivers you've got in the shop. You've got that little pink flower hammer that's in the drawer. That's yeah, not, we have that. It's that true. thing gets more use than any tool I've got. It's true. Like, yeah. How many times do your kids need that little screwdriver to like open up a car? Or exactly. Car? Yeah. yeah. Or cut a birthday cake. I don't know. Or cut a birthday cake. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. You all ready to go, guys? Let's yeah, I think we're good. Okay. Let's do it. All right.